are listening to the Innovo Podcast, a ministry of Innovo Vineyard Church in Wichita, Kansas. To learn more about Innovo, you can visit us online at innovovineyard.com. We hope you enjoy this message from God's Word. Well, hey, we're in a series we're calling Prophets and Angels, and we're talking about uh, just kind of the role of the Old Testament prophets and angels in the Christmas story. Uh, we're in our second week of prophets. Next week we'll get into angels and start talking about the angels a little bit. But uh, that's kind of where we are. If you're, on, if you're watching online, we're glad to have you guys today too. And thanks for following around with us. And we're going to put some things in the chat today as we go. Matt, get your typing fingers ready. And we'll kind of add those in there to have some, uh, a little interaction. In fact, if you're in here and have your phone and want to interact online with us too, you can. So it's one way to do it. Um, one of the craziest things about following the Lord Jesus is he doesn't always do things the way that we expect. God kind of does things his own way in his own timing, and that can get a little frustrating for us sometimes, you know? He rarely comes the way the people expect, and he doesn't like to fit into your plans, you early Christmas shoppers who everything planned out, you know? He likes to show up in disguise sometimes. So when the Lord Jesus was born in Bethlehem as the Messiah, people expected him to come as a powerful king. You know, times were hard and uh, people were being oppressed by the Roman government and they were expecting the Messiah to come, but they thought he'd come as this powerful political leader who would rally the people and start a revolution. Now, is that how he showed up? It's not, is he? He came humble and gentle and poor and that confused almost everybody. Now, what, what made it worse was uh, he grew up in a place called Nazareth. Now, I'm, I'm from Chicago, not from Kansas. Now, what's a place in Kansas that you would consider kind of a hick place, kind of a backwater, you know, part of, Can- part of Kansas? Anything you can think of? <laughs> what's that? All of it. <laughs> well, that's kind of where Jesus came from. We could say East, East Tennessee or East Kentucky, someplace like that. Sorry, guys. You know, that's kind of where Jesus came from. I'm sorry, you know. Barbecue land. It, was, uh, it wasn't what people were expecting. And being from Nazareth, he kind of came with a thick accent, Galilean accent as well, which kind of threw people off. So John the Baptist is, is baptizing people outside of Jerusalem. People are hanging out because he was kind of weird, and God was up to something, and they kind of felt like the, the coming of the Messiah was tied into this somehow. And at one point, he stands up and he proclaims in John 1, 29 and 30, and he points at Jesus coming. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And they turn around, and they see this hick from Galilee, and he kind of turns around, you know, something like, well, howdy, y'all. I'm going to be your Messiah today. You know, he just kind of has this kind of drawl, you know. And it's like if you need a serious operation from your doctor and you go in and this guy walks in and he goes, well, howdy, folks. I'm going to be your brain surgeon today. We're going to get that thing out of there, you know. Uh, it's just that kind of thing. And it would have been kind of like that. Now, the people are waiting for this Messiah, this warrior, this deliverer who, sh- who shows, and shows up to, to just blow all the bad guys away, but you get this hick from Galilee who's pretty mild, pretty laid back, pretty gentle, and 
everyone was kind of confused. But the thing was, he was God. <laughs> and that's how he chose to show up. You know, Jesus comes from a, from a backwater, hick town, hick part of the country, born to a teenage girl who claims to be a virgin, blue collar family. He grows up working with his hands, probably a tecton, a stonemason. And at some point, he's kind of homeless, and he's got this accent. And I love how John says it in John chapter 1. He says, though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. They missed it. Isaiah, the prophet, said there was no beauty or majesty in him. And he looked very, very normal. He looked very normal. And that's one of the ways that God does things. He tends to show up in disguise. He doesn't show up the way you expect him to. I mean, how many of you guys ever prayed and asked God to help you with a key area of your life, or you're having a crisis, or circumstances are kind of messed up, and you ask God to come and intervene, and he does it in a totally different way? I mean, how many of you guys have experienced that way? He doesn't do it the way you think he's going to do it. And you get in your mind this way that God's going to show up, or you get in your mind this way that God's going to come in and intervene and do something, and he, and he does it totally different. Now, back when I was a youth pastor, I would take, um, I'd take our kids to camp. We did like a youth conference, and I'd take our kids there, and one particular year, the Holy Spirit always just showed up, and one year the Holy Spirit just really shows up, and man, people's lives are turned upside down, and things are kind of revealed, and, and people come out there just wanting God to do anything, and I had this youth leader who was uh, an older guy, and I was never sure what to do with him because he was more of a business guy. He was quiet. He was older. I think, what, we, what am I going to do with this guy? And he gets down at this conference, and, man, the Holy Spirit shows up and just blows him out of the water. And he's like, God, whatever you want to do, change my life, do anything. And he's just like, man, he's just all in. And we're coming home from the conference back to our home church in Illinois, and he gets this call, and it was his job. And his boss called and said, hey, we're phasing out your entire division. You just lost your job. And it didn't look the way he thought it was going to look. And God ended up using it, and it changed the trajectory of his life, but it wasn't the way he expected. Now, I was on staff at a church once up in in, uh, Indiana that had a big revival back in the 80s. And people were all excited about this revival. went for about 20, 30 weeks. Man, God just transformed the church and the area. And then for years afterwards, they prayed for for the Holy Spirit to come again and bring revival again. And they prayed hard, and they're praying, and one day, the roof collapses of the church. The whole roof just falls in. And they built this church with uh, a flat roof, with walls around the roof, with drains that came out from the wall. And it rained, and then it froze, and the gutters froze, and the, the roof filled up like a swimming pool. Thousands and thousands of pounds of water right over our heads. And we're having church on Sunday, and on Tuesday there was a a preschool ceremony, hundreds of preschoolers and their family in the auditorium, and then the next day the whole thing just comes down. And steel girders and beams and wood, and if you were in that auditorium, there's a pretty good chance you would have died. But on that day, nobody was in there. But they're praying for revival, and what do they get? The roof falls down. <laughs> and it, it kind of forced a reset on the church, 
and some change in leadership, and it was all good, but everything changed, but God did not come with the answer they expected. They prayed for revival. They got the roof collapsing. You never know. And we see this in the Christmas account. The Lord Jesus didn't show up the way people expected him to, and it threw a lot of people off, but there were some people paying attention. Now, we're, we're, do, we're doing prophets and angels, so I want to show you the prophet in this. Uh, Isaiah, the prophet, kind of predicted something like this. King Ahaz was the king of Judah, and there were two kingdoms coming against him. A little background, there was, there was uh, Judah and Israel split, and there was civil war in that region that went about 150 years. And probably hundreds of thousands of people died over that time. And Israel was attacking Judah, and Judah would attack Israel, and it would go back and forth. And eventually, Israel got the help of another king, and they said, we're going to come, and we're just going to wipe you guys out. Now, the king in Jerusalem was named Ahaz, and he didn't particularly like the Lord, the Lord or care for God in his ways. But he went to the prophet Isaiah and said, hey, Isaiah, we've got a problem. I really need a word from God. Now, you ever been there before? I just need to hear from the Lord right now. This is, this is not looking good. We've got a problem. So he goes to Isaiah, and Isaiah goes before the Lord, and then he comes out and says, hey, i got some good news for you. God said, He's, these kings aren't going to be a problem for you. God says, I'm going to deal with them. And as a sign that I'm going to do this, God says to you, you tell me for what kind of sign you want, and I'll do whatever sign you want to prove to you that this is going to happen. So Ahaz takes this religious approach. You ever, you ever been like this before? He's kind of like, oh, I don't want to presume that I'm holy enough to ask God for a sign. It was totally a religious cop-out. And he didn't want to, he didn't want to, he said, just whatever God wants to do. And God got kind of mad at him. God, if God says, give me a sign, you, you, give him a, you, you tell him what you want to see, you know. And, and Ahaz wouldn't do that. So, so this is what the prophet said, Isaiah Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign, Ahaz. Behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and she will name him Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey at the time. He knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. For before the boy knows enough to refuse evil and choose good, the land whose two kings you dread will be abandoned. Now remember, prophecy is like looking up you got the vantage point, you see a mountain, but behind that prophetic word, there's another mountain. So the prophetic word is more than just one thing. So for the immediate, Isaiah said to the king, a young girl is going to have a kid. I don't know if Ahaz knew who this girl was. He probably knew something going on. And before the kid is old enough to know the difference between good and evil, these two kings that are coming against you, their whole countryside, their whole kingdom is going to be taken down, okay? And this is going to be a sign that I'm the one doing this. Now, we also know that this was for a later date, don't we? What else was he talking about here? The coming intervention of God, the coming Messiah. Not just the Messiah, but God coming in person, Emmanuel, which means God with us, it was for two periods. And he was talking about the incarnation. Now, this is a big word, and let me say it like this. This is the biggest word of the Christmas story, incarnation. It means God taking on 
flesh and bones and blood and organs and hair. And God literally became a man and, and moved into the neighborhood. That's what he did. And, you know, the, the simple message of Christmas is this. The creator became a human being. And that's what we celebrate. This is the most important part about Christmas, just so we know. Everything else is secondary. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men, Christmas presents. Everything else is secondary to the fact that God became a man and came to earth. And that's the miracle. Now, one day, uh, the Lord Jesus' disciples would, would write their account about what happened and one guy really did this, and his name was John. Now, there's three books that, uh, that kick off the New Testament story telling about Jesus and his, his life and his incarnation, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Well, John uh, did the same thing, but his account was a little bit different. He wrote about 40 years after uh, the Lord Jesus died. He had some time to think it over. He looked at what the other guys had written, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and saw what they had written, and he, he wanted to fill in some gaps and tell people some things that he thought was important. And he was really writing to people that already knew Jesus in the church. Kind of like he was saying, hey, what you know about Jesus is great, but I want to I show you some things that you might not know because I walked with him, and I saw him feed 5,000 I saw him call out, Lazarus, come forth, and, he, and Lazarus rose from the dead. And I saw him crucified, and I saw him raise up from the dead. And I just want to show you, this story is bigger than what you think. So he writes this gospel to say, um, you think you know him, but let me tell you something. And he writes this in John chapter 1, 1 through 5, and he says this. Uh, actually, let's stand for this, and let's just read it together. We stand in honor of God's word. If somebody wants to read that for us, Nick, you always do a good job. Why don't you, why don't you read for us today? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. All right, you may be seated. He says, uh, in the beginning. Now, what does that remind you of? In the beginning. Genesis. That's how the whole Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy started off. In the beginning. And he uses the same language on purpose, kind of like, I want you to know this is just as important as the creation of the world. In fact, it's more important. Kind of a risky way to start this off. He was, he was drawing a comparison between the two. And he's saying that the story of Jesus doesn't just begin with John's time, but Jesus didn't show, just show up and he was created. He actually existed before the foundation of the world. And everything we're experiencing is his story, basically. It's not our story. It's his story. We get to be part of it. But then he gets even more kind of heretical in a sense. And I, and I love something that John did that was very masterful in the way he put this thing together. He says, he called Jesus what? The Word. He said, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, he's saying this Word has not only just been around recently, but this Word was actually God. Basically saying, this, this guy I used to hang out with, I, want, I don't want to make any, I don't want you to misunderstand, because Mark, Matthew, Mark, and Luke kind of, 
they point it out in some ways for people that if you were Jewish especially, you'd understand. But John's speaking to a whole different audience. He says, I just want to get this off out of the way at the beginning. He wasn't just the Messiah. He was God. <laughs> okay, I want you to know this right off the bat. My buddy I used to hang out with, and we'd, we'd uh, eat together and talk and go places. He was God, you know. Kind of like saying, you know, uh, you know Mark back there? Yeah, he was God. You know, this guy, this guy, I know, we, we hung out, you know who he was. And it sounds crazy, but back then it was, it was, it was strong. And uh, it could blow your mind, but a lot of these earlier followers, they didn't, they didn't necessarily have all this stuff down. And he wanted them to know. Uh, they followed his teaching. They were, a lot of, the, a lot of the, 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 the Greeks and Romans were into philosophy, and they knew he was a good teacher, and they knew he was worth following, and he was a prophet and he was the Messiah even, but they might not have put the whole thing together. So, so John just says it. I want you to know, he, was, he is from eternity. He is God, not just the Messiah. We need to know that. And the way he does it is masterful. I mean, there's two audiences. You got the Jews, then you got the Gentiles, the Greeks, Romans, pagans. And at this time when John wrote this, um, the, the Gentile believers probably outnumbered the Jewish believers, probably 100,000 to one. There were a whole lot more pagans that had come in to follow Jesus than even the Jewish people. And uh, they were totally opposite. You got the Jewish people here, uh, they lived one way. They had one history and philosophy and the way they viewed life. Then you got the, the Gentiles and the pagans, and they had another way that they viewed life and things they believed. And he's trying to find some common ground between the two groups, and he says, here it is, it's this concept of the word, the word. Now to the, the Hebrews, the, the Jews, the word of God was paramount, wasn't it? I mean, these guys memorized the Old Testament. These guys paid attention. They studied scripture. They were theologians. Uh, the theologians would commit their lives to understanding the books of the Old Testament, and, and they knew that the word of God was not just what was written in the pages. The, the, the Jewish people knew the word of God was this force from God that went out and accomplished things. You remember he said, my word will not return to me void, but it's going to accomplish everything I set out for it to do. He, they knew that God in Genesis spoke the world into existence. God spoke and it happened. They, they knew this. So they knew that God's word was action and it was power. So they knew that. So for the Hebrew, it was the foundation of their thinking, this concept of the word. Every time God acted or spoke, it was the word. Then you got the Greeks and the Romans and the pagans, and they were more into philosophy than theology, I think. And they didn't trace their roots back to Abraham. They had a guy named Heraclitus. Heraclitus was this philosopher from Ephesus, who predated Socrates and all these other guys, and he taught that the world was in constant change and flux. Everything was changing. The world's in chaos. There's kind of reminds me of today a little bit. There's things things are happening and everything's moving and changing. And he had this um, this illustration he gave that was cool. He came to a river and he put his foot in the river, and then he took it out. Then he came along again, and he put his foot in the river again in the exact same spot and took it out and said, those are two totally different rivers. The water that was moving through before, that, that water has moved on. It's changed. It was, I put my foot into two different rivers, 
And it was just everybody's like, you know, everybody just, they just grabbed hold of that, you know, because everything is changing, and that came from Heraclitus. But he also said this thing, too, and it's funny how God, even in pagan cultures, God is weaving truth into things to point to him. So cool. And Heraclitus also taught that there is this glue of life that holds everything together. That in the middle of all the chaos and the change in the river is this, this glue that brings harmony and makes everything work. And he called it logos. What does logos mean? Word. This word. Heraclitus taught logos created the world. Heraclitus taught logos held it together. Heraclitus taught that Logos brought harmony and that the human soul was only eternal in nature when it's connected to Logos. So what did the Jews and the pagans have in common? The word, Logos. And John just ties the whole thing together before he digs into his entire gospel in John 1 he says, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So you got all the Greeks and the Romans and the pagans and all the Jewish people, and they all got it. They all understood. Jesus was the word made flesh. He goes on in verses 10 through 14. Jesus, God, he was in the world, and though the, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him because he comes in ways that he comes in disguise. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. <laughs> The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. John says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. In other words, Emmanuel, God with us. Now the cool thing about this is he's actually drawing another picture. I know I'm getting into a lot of philosophy today, but he is drawing a picture of the tabernacle. You know, when, the, when the, the Jewish people were rescued by God from Egypt and were heading to the promised land, he told Moses to build a tent. And this tent, God says, I'll fill this tent with my glory, and this is where you can come and meet with me. So, so he gives them this design, and Moses makes this tabernacle, and, and Moses went into the tabernacle, and God would give him, tell him what to do and give him how to lead the people. Joshua would go in with him, and Joshua would stay a lot longer. It was kind of funny. But this was the, the place of meeting, and, and we call it the tabernacle. And, and, and John, the word he actually uses for dwelling, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Literally, it's the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. He was using that picture of the Old Testament tent of meeting about God coming right in the middle of his people, and it was a place where he could come and, and meet with him. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And, and John was saying here, Jesus coming, this little baby, to this blue-collar family in this hick town, 
that people aren't getting it, I want you to know he is, he is God, and it's a miracle, but he is coming. When you see Jesus, you've seen the Father. You've seen God. And, and he's, the, he's the tabernacle. You can meet with God through the Lord Jesus. He is the connecting point. And he said, and that's the second miracle. See, the, the first miracle is that Jesus is God. The second miracle is God wants to be with his people. That's what the whole prophecy of Emmanuel was. God, make no mistake, God wants to be with you. <laughs> he wants to be among you. You know, he, the, the longing of God's heart is to be with his people. That's what he wants. That's what Emmanuel teaches us. Started back in the Garden of Eden. You know, a, Adam and Eve would be in the garden. And I always love this picture. And he, he, he's in the, they're in the garden, and it says that in the cool of the day that uh, God would come and walk with them in the garden. Wouldn't that be awesome? You know, what, how, if you had a day, God, just, God sends you an email or a text, I don't know how he do this, or speaks to you and says, hey, I'm going to give you a day, Bubba, and I'm going to come, and I'm going to hang out with you for a day, and we can go for a walk through the neighborhood or for a drive. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be interesting? And we could talk about whatever you want to talk about. Now, what would you talk to him about? What would you want to talk to him about? That'd be a good one for the, for the chat, Matt. What, if you had a day to spend with God, what would you, what would you want to talk to him about? What would, you, what would you want to know? What would you say? And, and Adam and Eve had this every day, and I just wondered what kind of things they said. But see, God wanted to be with them. He didn't have to do that. He wanted to do it. And then God would appear to people in the Old Testament through dreams and visions and, and uh, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Gideon, and all these, all these people. And then Moses, he had Moses build a tent where they could meet together, and God just traveled with his people. And once they were in the land of Israel, they made the temple, which is kind of a more permanent uh, tabernacle. Because God always wanted to be with his people. You want to know one thing that's on God's heart today? God wants to be with his people. That's what he wants. And then the prophet Isaiah told us 2,700 years ago that a virgin will conceive and bear a son and they will call him Emmanuel. That means God with us. (laughs) The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. He put his tent up right here in the middle of humanity, and we see his presence in the Lord Jesus. And then, through the Holy Spirit, this is another miracle, we become the tent. As a a people, as a church, we're the tent, and God loves to come and be with us and show us his glory. And I think in a sense, too, you're the tent. And God comes when we know Jesus and he fills us with his presence and he tabernacles among us. Then you skip to Revelation because we're looking ahead, aren't we? Advent is looking ahead to the next coming. We're looking back at the first coming and we're looking ahead to the next coming. And in the next coming, Jesus is going to come back in all of his fullness and we're going to see justice and we're going to see mercy and we're going to see God's kingdom on the earth, and it's going to be really, really incredible. But the Bible says that the whole earth is going to be full of the presence of the Lord and his glory. It's just going to cover the earth. It's going to be, take the best encounter you've had with God and multiply it by a million. <laughs> he's, going to, he's going to just make this thing happen. But the whole thing has always been about Emmanuel. 
God with us. God wants to be with his people. You know, one of the biggest blessings and gifts of uh, celebrating Christmas this, this time of year is, is remembering and recognizing that uh, his presence is available to us. That's one of the best things about this season. It's an amazing mystery of the universe that God is among us through the Holy Spirit, and we don't have to wait till heaven to be with God. We can experience him now and, 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 and speak and feel him and enjoy his presence. Uh, he indwells his people, another mystery. But I'd say this for us, life is all about his presence. Life is all about us not just knowing him in a salvation way, and we need that. We need to know him. We need to, we need to have that relationship with him through Jesus. But it's also in enjoying and taking advantage of his presence and getting to know him here on earth. We t- we're, we're carriers of his presence everywhere we go. Not just, not just, you don't come to church to get the presence. <laughs> when you know him and you interact with him, then you host his presence like a walking tabernacle. Everywhere that you go, you take his presence. Emmanuel, God with you. <laughs> and you take him everywhere you go, and he makes a difference in, in your life and the lives of people around you. That's what's so cool about this thing. I mean, life is all about his presence. And that's what makes life so good. You know, our, our connections to him that he offers us, it's, it's so powerful. We get to experience him every day. And it's what was promised by the prophets long ago, announced by angels. He is here right now <laughs> as we meet together in this room. And, and that's an awesome thing. So here's kind of my question today. I'm not going to speak long today. But are you experiencing his presence right now? Have you experienced his rescue and his salvation, but have you experienced his presence? That's that's the question of Christmas for us, you know. That's his will for your life, that you know him and encounter with him and experience him and interact with him, and that's what we want. Now, here's the hard thing. Back to the disguise, a lot of times we're too offended by him to experience him, (laughs) you know. Uh, Maybe he allowed some things to happen in your life. Maybe he hasn't answered all your questions that you have. You got a lot of questions. Maybe he hasn't answered all those questions. I don't know. Uh, Maybe you asked him to come one way at this time, some time in your life, and you didn't see him come, or he came in a way that was different than what you expected, and we get offended. See, we got to know that he's going to come the way he wants to, but he always comes with our good at heart always comes with peace and blessings and challenges, and he always comes to be involved. Now, uh, we've had a year, haven't we? The COVID year. It's been a crazy year. How many of you guys will be happy when this year is over with? I don't know if, you know, just the passage of time makes any difference or not, you know, but uh, in a way, we're starting a new year, in a way, time just keeps on going on, you know what I mean? Um, But I tell you, the biggest comfort and stability for me in this time. There's been, there's been a lot of things that I know I've held on to this year. But one of the biggest uh, consistencies and comforts to me has been God's presence. He hasn't left. Uh, friends can come and go. Even family relationships can be high and low sometimes, can't they? Uh, work can come and go. There's so many things that can just come and go. But I tell you, the constant of his presence there is a, a comfort and a strength in that 
like nothing else. Emmanuel, God with us. And especially when things hit the fan and get crazy, man, just to know that you've got him with you uh, as, as a help, as a counselor, as a teacher, as someone who loves you, as a father, and that you can, you can draw on that and talk to him about things. And he might answer you in a way that you're not expecting because that's kind of how he does sometimes. But he's going he's gonna to interact and he's going to give input and that's good for us, you know. And, but here's the, here's the thing about how he comes that we don't always understand. He comes to bring comfort and he comes to bring love and comes to bring stability. But he also comes to put his nose in your business, okay. He's like that friend, you ever invite somebody over to your house and you... And you open the door for them, just like we open the door to the Lord in our life. You know, Lord, I just want to be, I'm all in, I want to be in. And come on in, you open the door, and he comes in. And you ever heard somebody come in, and they start opening your closet doors? Oh, don't look in there. That's where I threw all the junk. Or there's something I don't want you to see. And they open the drawers, and they just start going through the house, you know. When he comes, he's going to go through the house. He's going to start looking at things. Because his goal is total renovation of the heart. He comes in because we need him, but he comes in and says, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm the change and the transformation that you've longed for. I'm the healing. You know, the gift of Christmas, Emmanuel, is it's, it's, it's Jesus. He's the gift. <laughs> His presence, him coming, is the most amazing thing. But he's going to come in, he's going to nose around, and he's going to turn some things upside down. He's going to move some things around. Wouldn't it be funny you had someone come over to your house and they said, I don't like the couch right there. Let's, let's move it over here. And they just take your couch and they move it. Maybe you got a friend like that. Some of you guys got a friend. Ashley's that friend. Okay, good to know. And you just start moving things around. It's going to work better like this. You know, aren't you glad I came over? Jesus is going to move your couch. I'm just telling you. He's going to move it. And, and, you, and you can move it back or you can trust him. But, but he does this. Man, when the Lord showed up, they didn't crucify him because he was a good guy. They didn't crucify him because he came and brought peace. Uh, they crucified him because he, he spoke into the culture and what was going on, and it got people frustrated. He will speak into your culture. Uh, I, I think, in a way, through COVID, I think the Lord's speaking into our culture right now. And he's wanting to do some reset and do some change to relationships and the church. And um, We're going to start next year out with a with time of prayer and fasting because I think we just really want to tune in to the change that he's wanting to bring in us as a people and some things that God wants to do differently. And we're going we're gonna to tune into that. But anyway, his presence is it's comforting, but it's challenging all at the same time, so be ready for both. But the thing I want you to leave, and I'm going to close, his presence is here. We get to experience him. What have you made Christmas? You know, it's about come Lord Jesus, Maranatha. But another layer of that is, God, I want to experience your presence this Christmas. I want to hear your voice. I want to interact with you. I want to experience you. Because um, the whole Bible is about God wanting to be with his people. And, it, and it, we're right in that too. Christmas is a reminder that his presence is available. So what, what can we do to help? Let me, let me give you a couple things that we can do just to be part of this. Because I think there's always some things we can do. Um, Jesus' first coming, people, some people paid attention, and they knew he was coming, and they weren't fooled. <laughs> you know, um, I think in his, he's coming again, 
and we need to pay attention to what he's doing. But we also need to pay attention to the fact that he wants to come in now into your life. Some of you guys know we've, we've had conversations, haven't we? And many of you, men, you could tell me stories of how the Lord has been involved in your life. We've had some of those. Like, you, you couldn't tell someone else, you know, someone else think, well, God's not been involved in your life. You could just come out with stories. Man, there's times I should have died. There's times this could have happened or that could have happened. Man, God is, in, God is involved in your situation. There's times where I, don't, I was a dumb kid. I did crazy things. There's so many times I could have died. Uh, I had a serial killer who lived across the street from my apartment that actually killed a boy in our, in our town not far from where I lived and assaulted another boy. The dude lived right across the street from my house. I mean, this is crazy stuff that you start talking. To, you know, God just preserves you and he saves you for things and he's involved. But beyond just knowing that he's involved, we have to engage with him and we need to reach out. One of my favorite scriptures in the Hebrews, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. <laughs> and in a sense, it's saying that um, if you take a step his direction, he's going he's gonna to come running your direction because he actually already took a step in your direction. It was called Emmanuel, <laughs> you know. So draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You take a step in his direction, man, he just comes. And we don't deserve that, but he does it because he loves us. So we, what are those steps we need to take in his direction. One of those steps, I think, for some of us is it's time just to have that, just to say yes to him for that relationship. Lord, I know you've been involved in my life. God, I'm ready. I'm all in. Lord, let's do this thing, <laughs> you know. Uh, I call it the ABCs. I admit that I've sinned and made mistakes. I believe that Jesus' blood that he shed for me on the cross is the only thing strong enough to make me right with God. No other thing can do it. And I'm just making a choice. It's like getting married. God, I'm, I'm in. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and, I, and I want your blood applied to my life. And I want to walk in relationship with you. And you just kind of formalize it in a sense. You know, ABCs. That's a, that's a step that we can take. Another step that we can take every day is before we get out of bed, just that prayer. Come Holy Spirit. You know? Um, when you ask him to come, he comes. We pray that every morning. We experience his presence in here because we pray, come Holy Spirit, and we engage with him, and we want him to come. When you go to work, come Holy Spirit. That'll mess people up. That's kind of funny sometimes. <laughs> come Holy Spirit. In your family gatherings, Christmas morning, opening presents, come Holy Spirit. It's just our prayer. Everywhere we go, everything, everywhere we, everything we do, we engage with him. Because here's the thing. When Isaiah said that a child would be born and name him Emmanuel, God with us, it was God saying one more time, I want to be with my people. I want to know them. I want them to know me. I want to love them. I want to engage with them. I'm going to set up my tent <laughs> right there with them. That's his heart. And we want to experience him. That's good for us. Let me pray, let me pray for us. Lord, you have such an amazing, elaborate plan that you make so simple for us. <laughs> and Lord, I just appreciate it, the way you, you do things, how you do it. Lord, thank you that your heart is to be with us, to love us. And Lord, we want to feel your love, we want to feel your presence, and we want to engage with you. I just pray for anybody right now who's just been a little distant, they felt far. 
they haven't felt you to the degree that they're longing for, Lord, would you come and just engage with us? Lord, draw us in. Lord, we believe by faith that as we say yes to you, that you're in, you're in us, you're, you're on us. But Lord, we wanna, we wanna engage with that more. So Lord, just, just draw us into your presence uh, this morning and just all the time, Lord, I ask for that. God, I pray for anybody who's never taken that initial step of saying yes to you and, and starting that relationship. And uh, for those online and for anybody here this morning, I'd just like to lead us in a prayer, just, just formalizing that and doing it. You can do it right where you're sitting, and it's basically you know, something like this, and you can just pray this however you want to pray it. But um, Lord, I, I, I admit that I've sinned and made mistakes and that I was born far from you. But God, I also believe that you came to the, to the earth as a, as a baby and you grew up and you died for me on the cross. And Lord, I believe your blood is the only thing strong enough to wipe away my sins and make me right with you. So God, right now, I'm just making a choice. God, I, do this in my life. I am in. Lord, I want to follow you. And Lord, I, I just identify right now as your follower. And I'm going to keep on following you. And God, I love you today. Holy Spirit, come into my life and indwell me as that tent of your presence. And God, I want to experience you, and I want to know you, and I want to walk with you. And God, thank you for being so kind and so generous. And I ask it in the strong name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.